Before we read and hear God's holy word written in scripture, let us receive the instruction from the shorter catechism. Catechisms in the Reformed tradition are systematic presentations of biblical doctrine. And uh, in the bulletin, you can see below the question and answer the various scripture passages that support this question and this answer. We do this instruction from the catechism prior to the reading of scripture, prior to the sermon, because it it really introduces us uh, to the main idea or main themes of the scripture and sermon for the day. So uh, as we ask this question about effectual calling, let that be a, a tip to you of something that's coming later in the sermon. And the catechism asks us, what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Let us ask the blessing of the Lord who breathed out His word uh, upon the reading of it. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you are the true and living God who speaks. And by the power of your word, you bring forth light and life. And so you have done through your word incarnate, Jesus Christ. And now we ask in his name that your spirit would illumine our minds and open our hearts so that we might hear your word written in scripture, that it would be powerfully at work within us to strengthen us and to grant us renewed faith and hope that we might live more fruitfully for your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. The reading of scripture again comes from Romans 8 beginning at verse 28. We're going to read through verse 30. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. I don't know about you, but as we continue to make our way through the great eighth chapter of Romans, I sometimes feel as though I am on a mountain climbing expedition, as in climbing Mount Everest. I think Sinclair Ferguson uses that illustration, in fact, to describe the study of Romans 7, if not the whole book of Romans. But it it feels to me as, as though... This is especially the case in chapter 8 because 
as we make our way up one steep ascent, as it were, um, we, we come to a resting spot and, and we get a glorious view, but we're not nearly to the top, so we have to make our way up the next switchback of the mountain trail, ascending higher, till we come to another resting point at which we get yet another glorious view from a different vantage point, but we're still not to the top, so we begin to make our way up another switchback, up the mountain, onward, upward, in order to gain the ultimate, most glorious view. And so it's, this is how it has seemed to me as we make our way through the great eighth chapter of Romans. Now, the point of that illustration is that throughout Romans 8, one verse leads to another, one paragraph leads to another, one major point leads to another, and it is indeed all leading toward a glorious conclusion. Romans 8 begins with, No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the assurance of our justification by faith alone in Christ alone, which secures our peace with God. And that's a very good base camp from which to start. And from there it leads onward and upward to the empowerment for the obedient Christian life through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in believers' lives, the mortification of our sins, the sanctification of our lives by the power of the Spirit. But, but then, so to speak, we, we climb higher on yet another switchback up the mountain because the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is also the great assurance of our adoption. As the children of God, the adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. So that we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now remember we stopped at that resting point. We gazed out at that glorious vista. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. But then we had to press on, and this next ascent was pretty steep and rigorous because it was along this next switchback that we learned that as the adopted brothers and sisters of Jesus, we are called to suffer with him, 8.17. And that in this fallen world, this, this fallen creation which is subject, subjected to futility, which is in bondage to corruption, inevitable suffering, decay, and death, we will experience suffering. And we are called to endure that suffering with faith in Jesus Christ and for His sake, in the assurance that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 18. And in the midst of our suffering... The indwelling Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, even interceding for us from within us with groanings too deep for words. Verse 26, according to the will of God, so that even in time of suffering and weakness, we can be assured that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. 
And that's a good place to sit down and rest for a while, isn't it? In the midst of our suffering in this fallen world, we, we, we might ask, did we take the wrong trail? Is the map wrong? Are we headed over the cliff? Are we lost forever? No. Because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28 is, is a good place to sit down and rest a while. But we can't stop there. In fact, that great memory verse, which we might have displayed in a framed needlepoint or in a watercolor calligraphy, for example, that great memory verse is really just the first half of the great truth which it teaches. It's only the first half. In the mountain climbing analogy, quoting 828 by itself would be like stepping forward with your left foot, but never moving forward with your right foot. In order to keep on hiking, we need to keep on reading. This is the switchback we're on today as we continue up the mountain of the great eighth chapter of Romans. Ready? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified... He also glorified. We're going to take it step by step. And by the way, we're not even going to get all the way through it. But here we go. Now, this isn't just a Bible lesson for the fun of it. Or, or for academic purposes. This is all about the assurance of your eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, secured by the sovereignty of God. If you have an interest in eternal things, this passage speaks to you so that you might be reassured that no matter how hard the trail has been or how rough it might become in the future, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been called to... And you will be brought to a destiny of eternal glory through the sovereign, saving grace of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. How do we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good? For those who are called according to His purpose? Well, the answer to that question is actually found right there within verse 28 itself. Because first of all, the phrase, those who love God, refers to those people who love God because he first loved them. 1 John 4.19, Romans 5.5. That phrase, 
those who love God, refers to the people who have had their hearts changed by the Holy Spirit and their minds enlightened and their wills renewed, as the catechism answer says, so that they love God and seek to keep His commandments out of a motivation of love for God. These are the people who by the regenerating That is, new life-giving grace of the Holy Spirit love the Lord their God. They are the true Israel of God in the new covenant through Jesus Christ. And therefore, those who love God because he first loved them are, by definition, those who are called according to his purpose. You've got to see these two phrases together. The beginning phrase of 828 and the concluding phrase. Those who love God are those who are called according to his purpose. The fact that they love God and want to obey him out of a motivation of love for him is the evidence that they are called according to his purpose. And it is God's calling of us according to his purpose that guarantees that all things work together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. If, that is, since he has loved us before we loved him, if, since... He has called us according to his purpose. (laughs) Then how could it ever be that his love for us or his purpose for us could ever fail? Impossible. Your eternal salvation in Christ is secured in the sovereign, unfailing purpose of God for your life. Who, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians chapter 1, works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, that word called, which occurs again in verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. The working out of his eternal purpose through the call of the gospel and the power of the Spirit, this this refers to, and remember again, this isn't academic theology, this is personal experience. This This is what new life in Christ is all about. This word called refers to the effectual or effective call of God by God the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is what the catechism teaches us based on scripture. This is how it works itself out in real life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed in various ways. People hear it with their ears. And at the appointed time, by the gracious, sovereign, Supernatural 
working of the Holy Spirit, those who are effectually called hear it with their hearts. And by the gracious working of the Holy Spirit, they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It happens in different people's lives in different ways and at different times. But that's it. The word of the gospel goes forth. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, people hear it. Those who are effectually called hear it with their hearts. And they believe and receive Jesus Christ. They are effectually, effectively called by God through Jesus Christ, and they come to Christ in faith by the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and minds and wills according to His eternal purpose. They are called according to His purpose. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you sincerely believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you sincerely receive and depend upon Christ alone for your salvation as He is offered in the gospel? Do you? If you do, the only possible way that that can be true is that God has called you according to His purpose. Listen to these other passages. Romans 1.7, To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. They were called by God because they were loved by God before they ever loved Him. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It is God who calls us by the power of His Word and Spirit into communion with Jesus Christ for our salvation. 2 Timothy 1.9 God saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of His own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Well, there in that verse, 2 Timothy 1.9, as in Romans 8.28, you have the connection between our calling and the eternal purpose of God. He called us not because of our works, but because of His own purpose, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And, and then in language which comes straight out of the Old Testament, Echoing the Old Testament definition of Old Covenant Israel, but applying it to believers in Christ, the New Covenant Israel, 1 Peter 2.9 says, You, believers in Jesus Christ, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now that we've seen that believers are called according to God's eternal purpose, we may ask, 
What is the eternal purpose of this calling? Why has God called us? And that answer comes to us in two parts, right here in verse 29. That's why we've got to keep on walking through this passage. First, God has called us, he calls his people according to his purpose, one, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. This takes us back to Romans 8.18, the glory that is yet to be revealed to us or in us. This takes us back to verse 17, which says that we shall also be glorified with him, Christ. This points us to verse 23, which promises us the redemption of our bodies, the fullness of our salvation, a glorified body in the renewed creation. Philippians 3.21 reminds us that we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. So when Romans 8.28 says... For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, that good for which all things are working together has not so much to do with the temporal benefits in this world, though God is good and gracious and he blesses us with good providences, It has not so much to do with the temporal benefits of this life, but much more importantly, the eternal good. The eternal good of our glorification in conformity to the image of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And when we share in Christ's glory with him, then Romans 8.28 will no longer be a memory verse, but a glorious reality. Having shared in Christ's sufferings in this world, we will share in his glory in the world to come. But that is only the the first part of the eternal purpose of God in our salvation. Ian Hamilton touched on this last Sunday. The absolutely ultimate and supreme purpose of God in our calling It's not merely that we should be saved and glorified. But beyond that, that his son Jesus Christ would be glorified as the firstborn among many brothers. Now that word firstborn is is figurative, sometimes used as a title, the firstborn, meaning preeminent. As Charles Hodge commented, the head and chief among and over that countless multitude who through him are made sons, children of God. So the the idea here 
is that as that great multitude which no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, stands before Jesus Christ in his glory, conformed to his image, we will reflect his glory perfectly as his image appears in us as in a mirror and thus his glory will be magnified and exalted above all so as to proclaim throughout the infinities of eternity through us behold the glory of the lamb the crucified and risen Savior at the right hand of the Father. See how great and glorious He is that He alone could and would redeem such a multitude of lowly sinners and conform us to the image of His glory. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So you see, ultimately, brothers and sisters, our eternal good, the good for which all things are working, our eternal salvation is not about us. It is about the eternal glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is the ultimate purpose of God. The God who has called you according to His purpose, the purpose of our calling which cannot fail. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your eternal salvation is secure in the sovereign purpose of God in Jesus Christ. Why can't it fail? Because as verse 29 says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Our salvation for the glory of Jesus Christ is rooted in, flows out of the infinite depths of eternity past before time began. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That word foreknew does not mean merely to know in advance, as in knowing the future. As as we say, you know, from a human perspective. Rather, it has the richer, deeper meaning rooted in the Old Testament meaning of the word know which means love, personal love. That is, to know, to know with special interest, delight, affection, and action. It can, of course, refer to the particular love between husband and wife. Adam knew Eve, his wife, And she conceived. But it also refers to God's special, particular, covenantal love for his chosen people. Genesis 18, 19 says that the Lord knew Abraham. 
meaning that the Lord had specifically chosen Abraham and entered into a covenant with him. When the prophet Jeremiah received his calling as a prophet, the Lord said to him, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah 1.5, meaning that he, the Lord, had chosen Jeremiah, called Jeremiah, decreed his purpose for Jeremiah, pledged his faithfulness to Jeremiah, yes, loved Jeremiah before the Lord had formed him in the womb. The Lord spoke to the people of old covenant Israel through the prophet Amos. O people of Israel, the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Meaning that the Lord had entered into a covenant only with old covenant Israel. The Lord had set his electing love only Upon Israel, the Lord had chosen only old covenant Israel out of all the nations of the earth to be his beloved bride. Hosea 3.5 speaks the word of the Lord to Old Testament Israel saying, It was I who knew you in the wilderness. Meaning it was I, the Lord, who cared for you, provided for you, guided and guarded you, loved you. Old Testament Israel in the wilderness. Yes, this is about the doctrine of unconditional election. And in Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew means those whom he foreloved, those upon whom in the realm of eternity past, before time began, the Lord had set his special electing, redeeming love. And because he foreloved his people in Christ He also predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son. Paul says exactly the same thing. The Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, says exactly the same thing. Ephesians 1.4 assures believers that God the Father chose us or elected us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That is his foreknowledge or forelove of us. And then in the course of time, God works out his eternal decree in our lives as we hear the call of the gospel, believe it, and receive our justification with him through faith in Christ and our adoption by the Spirit as his children in Christ. And all of this works together to guarantee our glorification with Christ for all eternity to which we have been predestined. Again, Ephesians 1 makes precisely the same point. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, heavenly glory, having been predestined, listen, according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we might be to the praise of his glory. There it is again. Ephesians 1, Romans 8, 28, they, work, they echo each other. God works all things according to his purpose, according to the counsel of his will, working out in our lives his call to salvation because he has foreloved us and has predestined us to share glory with Christ, to share in Christ's glory and be to the praise of his glory. There it is, the unshakable, eternal security we have in Christ because 
God works all things according to the counsel of his will. In the counsel of his will, he has chosen and predestined his people in Christ to a heavenly inheritance so that we might be to the praise and glory of Christ. The goal of our salvation is to bring eternal glory to Jesus Christ. And therefore, God's promise and purpose cannot fail because he will not fail his son. That's how secure you are in Christ. Therefore, from the depths of eternity past into the infinity of the eternal future of glory, we have the assurance that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are eternally secure in the sovereignty of God's purpose for the glory of his name. Let's stop and rest there for a while and gaze upon the wonders of God's unfathomable love for us in Christ before time began and his purpose for us to which he has called us and for which he called us that we might be to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ reflecting his image for all eternity. We'll stop and rest here for a while. Lord willing, we'll start climbing again next Sunday. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom we rejoice. We pray, O Lord, that your Spirit will teach us your word, implant it in our hearts, renew our minds. Grant us grace to live according to it. To your praise, honor, and glory through Christ our Savior. Amen.